hello and welcome to The View from the Lane, our Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. My name is Jack Pitbrook and I'm joined again today by James Moore and Charlie Ackleshare. Right now, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 per week. You can read all of our articles on Spurs and so much more, including Charlie's article this morning explaining just how Jose has tightened up his team's defence since the game against West Ham. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod and sign up for just £1 per week. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. Well, it was a slog. Uh, it took much longer to win than some of us might have expected. But, Charlie, they got there in the end, didn't they? They did. Um, similar, I guess, to the Burnley away win and to a degree to the Brighton home win. You know, these were games where the fluency of early season wasn't there, but they were a lot more solid against, um, you know, pretty dogged opposition. It was just one of those games where you you have to get through it. You have to get the win if you're, you know serious about challenging for the title and they did it yeah it's not a win that will live long in the memories probably but it really didn't matter especially the tight turnaround from Thursday it was just you know go there get the three points uh and move on move on to Man City in two weeks time and and how nice is this international break now that you can you know reflect on another victory and keep looking at the league table and it's 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 pretty good viewing if you're a Spurs fan well I don't know about that just the idea of it being Leicester top of the league is just Brings back a lot of bad memories. True, yeah. You just d- look down, don't look up. Well, that's true. Um, I-, I was very pleased with the result. I mean, the performance wasn't incredible. It's, it was pretty dogged, as you say, Charlie. But the number of times I've seen, and every single Spurs fan listening to this will will have bad memories of games against West Brom, uh, including the most recent one uh, towards the end of seventeen eighteen when West Brom went down, but beat Spurs 1-0, and Spurs were absolute garbage that day. They were terrible and that really was kind of the beginning of the end of the Pochettino era, I guess, because the end of that season, they, they kind of stumbled over the line. They stumbled through the whole next season as well. Um, uh, and lost that game 1-0. And, and, you know, there's, I think there's a, a thing among Spurs fans uh, of Spurs drawing every single game against West Brom, uh, West Brom 1-1. I think that's happened some eight in the last 14, maybe, or something stupid like that. It's a ludicrous number. It is incredible. And obviously the worst one being in that season that Leicester won the league, but which is actually the game that, if any one game cost Spurs the title, it was that way. Yeah, the West Brom home game that he drew 1-1, where uh, I think Craig Dawson scored at both ends of the pitch, I think. Um, and yeah, you're right. The, the game where Deli Alley whacked um, the guy whose name I forgot before, and I've now forgotten again, Claudio Jakob, thank you. Um, yeah, whacked him in the stomach. Uh, so yeah, I, I think, I mean, I, I, I just think West Brom looked... Solid defensively. I thought they looked a decent team. Um, it was a really good defensive performance by them and and they will be absolutely livid that they've lost that game 1-0 due to what I guess he probably would put down as a goalkeeper error. Although I think it was also a good ball from Doherty into what wouldn't be considered the traditional corridor of uncertainty. But I, I definitely think that was an area that... Uh, made it pretty difficult for him. It was awkward, but I did think like um, watching the the Liverpool City game later in the day, there was one quite similar and Alisson just came out, yeah. cleaned everyone out and took it. And I did think, yeah, that's what a really elite keeper does. You've got a club at a centre forward basically and I, I, he obviously didn't feel like doing that and yeah, it's worked in Spurs' favour. Mourinho was right as well, you know. He, I mean, he uh, giving himself a bit of credit, but I, it was probably justified in this case. Having Vinicius in there as well meant... The West Brom defenders had another centre forward to worry uh, about. I'm not sure about that. I've watched it back with that in mind. They rewound it afterwards to have a look, and actually, like, th- there's three centre backs on the pitch, and two of them are basically gravitated towards Kane, and the others picked up Vinicius, which I think would have been what happened 
regardless of whether or not I'd been Vinicius or Son. Or there would have been three without Vinicius player. on Kane. Well, three se- sure three centre-backs and a I keeper on Kane without Vinicius. I, I don't think it would have been any different, but whatever. I mean, you know, they won the game after his substitution, so he, he has to pat himself on the back, I guess. So this was the first game in which we saw what I think we're calling the HBK front line. Uh, made up of Human Son, Gareth Bale and Harry Kane. Uh, what did you think of the HBK frontline, Charlie? Did you feel like it failed to deliver any sweet chin music to West Bromwich Albion? <laughs> the heartbreak kid. Um, yeah, it, w- it, it was a bit of a work in progress. I mean, I was watching it quite closely um, during the game and... It, it was it was very fluid, and I thought that was interesting, and will cause teams a lot of problems once they're all fully in sync. I mean, we're, we're used now to Kane dropping deep and playing a lot in a kind of number ten position, but Son was actually doing a fair bit of that as well, uh, and Kane was pulling wide quite a lot, looking dangerous there. Um, you know, they they all <clears throat> they all got into quite dangerous positions. Bale had one kind of in the inside right channel uh, where he kind of ran towards goal and got tackled. So it it wasn't. I think we were all hoping it would be a kind of uh, freewheeling, razzle dazzle, each of them scoring, and you know, really putting West Brom to the sword. But that was perhaps a tad unrealistic, given it was the first time they'd started together. Um, so I think there's definitely you know si- thing signs of um, for us to get really excited about. Um, as I say, that the movement I thought was impressive, the way they interchanged, and uh, once they get you know, used to playing with one another and uh, used to the sort of runs that each other makes, it becomes a bit more automatic. I guess the worry would be that Kane and Son have worked really well as a, a pair, in inverted commas, you know, not a conventional pair, but um, they've linked up really well f- for much of this season. But um, you'd hope that Bale is intelligent enough uh, and the other two are intelligent enough that they can they can iron out some of those kinks in, in the weeks to come. They were all involved in that move that ended with Son belatedly taking that shot in the first half, right? I think yeah, he went from the wall to Bale to Kane to Ndombele, then to Son. And for yeah. reasons unbeknownst to anyone else, he decided to wait uh, literally about 30 <laughs> seconds before shooting. I mean, I don't, I don't understand what he was thinking. so long. He to hit that quickly it, and he would have caught the keeper out, right? And, you know, he let like three defenders get between him and the goal. It seemed an odd I think it was and- the classic having too much time and being a player with too many options. I mean, he so got off either foot, he was confident enough that he could move it onto his left foot and then strike it. Whereas someone else might have just really wanted to hit it on their good foot and taken it a bit earlier. But it was, it was one of those where you were just screaming, like, please get this shot away. Um, it was unlike him. It was unusually kind of... Well, I mean, sometimes previously he has dithered a bit and taken a few too many touches, but this season he's been so clinical. So I think we're all expecting him to just put that away. Obviously, Spurs have now scored, what, um, one, two, three, four goals in their last three league games, which isn't bad, but it's obvious, it's kind of different from the good old days of putting six past Man United or um, five past Southampton. Uh, Charlie, do you sense that Spurs have... Do you, sense, do you sense there's been a bit of a correction from those kind of like free scoring days of early October um, to make Spurs into something a little bit more defensive? Or do you think this has been a kind of natural variation that we've seen here? Well, I looked at this for the for my piece from the game um, and, and it has undoubtedly been, you know, the numbers are, are pretty stark. So if you look at the first five games of the season, 
Spurs scored 15 goals at a rate of three a game. As you say, they've scored four and three since, and that's a rate of 1.3 per game. In those first five, they averaged 7.4 shots on target per game. Uh, In the three since, it's 3.7. That's exactly half. And then their XG was 2.3 in the first five, and it's down to 1.4. So there there has been a... a, I'd say that's a bigger shift than just uh, a kind of natural variation, especially considering... Or maybe because of they've been playing teams nineteenth that are currently nineteenth, sixteenth, and eighteenth in those three most recent. So you would have thought uh, they would have been scoring more, getting more shots off rather than less. Obviously, there is a, a degree to which, because of the teams being in those positions, uh, it means they've been more defensive, and that hasn't uh, helped Tottenham. So I, I definitely think um, there has been a deliberate um, tightening up. My mind goes back to in 2013 in Mourinho's first spe- uh, second spell at Chelsea. They had this madcap game where they lost three to at Stoke and he basically said, right, this isn't happening anymore. We're, we're defending properly. And then in their next but one league game, I don't know if you remember, but it was this awful, soporific nil-nil draw at Arsenal just before Christmas and it was kind of like, okay, we're, we're, we're defending seriously. Uh, I don't think it's been as stark as that. Uh, I think, you know, there was a degree of appreciation for the kind of wackiness of that West Ham uh, draw. But then that West Ham draw was, you know, the 10th game in a row. They hadn't kept a clean sheet. They've since kept three and five, two of those in the league, back-to-back away clean sheets for the first time in more than two years. So there has been a tightening up. And and even just um, kind of strategically in the way they're playing, if you, out of Irod coming in for Sanchez has made them look more solid but they have to defend deeper as a result. And that means they can't smother teams in the same way. They can't play as high up the pitch. And I I think we've seen that. You know, they haven't overwhelmed teams in the last few games in the way that they were in those first five. So it's been a shift and a a necessary one. I I, I just feel now they've got a real platform from those three wins. I feel as well to a degree, and I know football doesn't work like this, but, you know, Burnley and West Brom yesterday were two games that could massively have gone either way. I think if they'd certainly drawn both of those they wouldn't they couldn't have had many complaints and could even have lost one or both which to a degree um kind of balances out those crazy Newcastle and uh West Ham draws although you know they they, they weren't as these wouldn't have been as crazy um but yeah so I feel now they've 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 managed to solidify a bit and then it's where do they go from here and whether they kind of think that's a way that works for them or whether they feel now a bit more comfortable that, yeah, they can keep clean sheets, they can keep teams out and reduce uh, their opportunities. Do they then try and, you know, balance that out a bit um, with a more sort of attacking way of playing the next few games? Obviously, the next few games, as we'll, I'm sure, get onto, are all against kind of big six rivals pretty much. So it will just be really interesting to see kind of where this leaves them and where and how Mourinho wants them to play. But also bearing in mind that their strength is, you know, in that attacking sense, I think that is where the squad is is pretty top heavy. So, you know, ca- can they play in a really defensive way or should they try and play to their strengths? Yeah, it's really interesting you make that point about Sanchez and Alderweireld. I think up until the, that's got in my notes here, that up until the West Ham game, I think Sanchez had played something like eight out of the first 10 this season. So he was always in the team and it's obvious, you know, whatever you think of Sanchez, like it's obvious what he brings to the team in that role. Whereas now I think he's gone back to playing Dyer and Toby together in four out of the last five, which is something he was kind of reluctant to at the start of the season. But then when you mentioned the um, the kind of the defensive base of Mourinho's second Chelsea team, uh, the one that won the league in 2014-15, it did make, you know, that was a team built on two very solid old school 
centre backs in uh, Cahill and John Terry, and it does make you think that um, you know you you have started to wonder whether or not Dyer and Alderweireld can be the kind of JT and Cahill of this Spurs team. You know, don't do any, don't have to do anything too fancy. Head everything away. Let the more talented players in the team do the, all the attacking stuff. It's uh, you know fo- football doesn't have to be futuristic. You can still do the old fashioned stuff well and uh, and get it right. Uh, James, I, can't, I don't imagine you want. <laughs> I don't imagine you want to think about this in those terms and think about a uh, Spurs having their own JT. But I'm afraid it's uh, it's a possibility. If it means winning league titles, I'm sure I can live with it. But I'm not. As long as it stays to just being John Terry on the pitch, I guess that would be uh, that would be my main concern. Just on that defence side, it will be so interesting because I think certainly Burnley that suited Dyer and Alderweireld down to the ground because they were up against you know two big, not especially pacey and mobile centre forwards, um, but you know up against you know the, the next game is Man City, then they play Ch- and then Chelsea away. You think of that Chelsea front line, and and I, and I just wonder you know whether. Is it one of those where you preempt the fact that Alderweireld and Dyer are vulnerable to pace and you bring Sanchez back in? Or do you stick with what's working in the hope that they've got an understanding and then they'll be able to deal with it? Um, because I think I think I would be a little bit wary of of playing against City and Chelsea with, um, with Dyer and Toby, despite the fact that they've conceded only one goal and that was not a goal that should have counted in their last three league games I don't I don't know what you guys think about that yeah I mean it's, those matches are obviously a totally different proposition to to what we've seen in the last three games where Spurs or, or maybe haven't necessarily dominated possession massively but they have kind of broadly speaking been in control um, even if they've kind of struggled to break teams down and create loads of chances they've had the ball you would say, you know, if they were in another game like they had against Manchester City at home last season where they got completely overrun and kind of rode their luck a little bit, they were, they were solid, but, you know, the ball kept coming back at them for most of the game. You, you think if it's Sterling getting in between or, you know, Jesus, if Mares or whoever else, was, um, Torres is in the team now, you know... Uh, those two centre-backs are definitely going to get exposed against, you know, and, and then you talk about Werner and Havertz and whoever else for Chelsea, Pulisic if he's back. Um, so, yeah, you, you could definitely see the value in in having Sanchez back in the team. But as you say, I mean, they had the best defensive record in the Premier League joint with about five other teams now, nine goals and eight games, which I would say is probably a testament to the, to the kind of average standard of defending in the league this season more than how good Spurs have been, I think, with all due respect. Um so yeah, it's going to be a completely different challenge, and you know, I think it goes without saying that we're going to know far more about where this Spurs team are at after those next two or three games than we are than we do at the moment. That that City game is fascinating, isn't it? Because it's so, you know, it's given that City have played this fairly unique style. It's uh, it's such an interesting challenge for teams, and of course, it was one of. In the good old days, pre-coronavirus, it was probably Mourinho's standout achievement so far at Tottenham. Was that two 0 win? Was that two 0 win? Which uh, feels like another age now, but was you know was a very good example of plague in that sort of way. I just wonder whether or not it's the right. What is? I'm just trying to think. What is the right way for Spurs to play in that game? Like I don't think City are playing especially well at the moment. Um, I think they're nowhere near as good as they used to be in midfield. That much is very clear from watching them this year. As good as De Bruyne still is. Um, I think Spurs probably would be well advised to sit deep and try and hit City on the break. Um, 
and other teams have had success with that but I'm just I don't know I don't know I mean that last that game last season was crazy because the XG which some people say is nonsense but it tells a, a story and reflects other stats in the game I mean City were way way on top I think it was almost Spurs' worst for how many they were expected to concede and how few they were expected to score I mean it really what City were really on top in every way so as much as you know you could look at that and say Spurs 1-2-0 there's your prototype do that again but I don't think you can give up that many chances. You, you might get away with it once. I think you'd be lucky to get away with it twice. So it, it will be interesting to see whether uh, whether they do play in the same way. Obviously, that on that day, Kane was out. So Mourinho's hand was forced to a degree. But I, I, I don't think he'll be as... Um, he'll, he'll set them up as, as defensively as he did that day. But it, it's really interesting with kind of this argument as to whether, you know, do you tweak a winning formula? And I think... I think where the younger managers like Lampard and Arteta have shown their inexperience sometimes is that they will stick with a team that's won a big game, almost regardless of who the next opponents are. And that's just not really how it works. I mean, someone like Sir Alex Ferguson was brilliant. Like he would he would bring Park Ji Sung in often for those really big games. That doesn't mean he's an automatic starter then the following week when they're at home against a team that's sitting deep, but he knew he could do a specific job. And so I just wonder, you know, Mourinho, given he has all that experience and that know-how, whether he will tweak things ever so slightly whether that means I mean I, I I don't think Sanchez will start just because even if stylistically he makes more sense it just feels like at the moment he's not he's not even in a position where he, he would get the nod so maybe it's other tweaks I mean even you know the way he plays his fullbacks will be interesting because there's been quite a lot of rotation there we saw Ben Davis get the nod away at Burnley I'd be I'd be very surprised if Regulon didn't start that game but you know, th- these are some of the options he has. And do you go Oriel? Do you go Doherty? Um, other, and you know, is is it time for Lascelles? Does he get that start? Do we get to see the first another trio that we we've been obsessing over? You know, that Hoybier and Dombele uh, Lascelles trio. Does that get its first outing? Like he he has some big calls, and it will be really interesting to see how he and the team approach that game. Just on Reggion, by the way, I, I I've got to say, and I know Spurs kept a clean sheet and have improved defensively, but I thought like. He looked quite suspect defensively yesterday. And I've kind yeah. of been thinking that a couple of times, like he leaves so much space in behind. And yes, he has the pace to, to get in and recover from that. But he just, some of his kind of positioning when the opposition had the ball has been a bit iffy, I thought. Yeah, I was surprised. And it, it was maybe just a bit of a throwaway comment uh, on match today too. You know, they were saying how he had a really solid game. And I, I agree with you, James. I thought um, there were a few slightly dodgy moments. I mean, we know he he's far better going forward than he is... Uh, defensively um but yeah so that's so that's what i mean you know that's when whereas at the moment ben davis aside from that you know horrendous error antwerp when he was playing as a center back it, he is more solid so that that is certainly an option for reno but Reglon offers so much going forward so um it's, it's, it's a tricky one i think whatever questions we might have about how tottenham will set up we know that we know how city will play because guardiola's teams always play the same way and given how City likes to defend so high up the pitch and leave space in behind, uh, I think they could be the perfect opponents for Spurs to play again. Um, and I actually think that if, you know, if Gareth Bale does get, fu- if Gareth Bale is fully fit and firing in that game in a way he hasn't really been so far, I just wonder whether or not it might be the kind of, you know, the moment where the Bale signing really, really comes good. Um, because we know that like the example of the Southampton and Man United games so far this season is that for teams that do defend high up the pitch, 
um, Spurs Spurs are better against that team than they are against any against anyone else. I think there's not many teams who are better at exploiting that sort of space than Spurs in the league at the moment. That is the conventional wisdom that Tottenham, and certainly this season, I think that's true. Is that they are better against teams that attack them and leave gaps in behind. I mean, generally under Mourinho, they they have actually been very consistent at putting away teams that they should be, and then their record in the big games kind of defend, depends on your cutoff point on kind of who you consider the, the big teams to be but if you look at the teams that came top four last season uh, they've been beaten Liverpool beat them United uh, a win and a loss Chelsea they've lost to twice uh, City they had that they had that win so I mean they, they've had some kind of mixed results so it will be interesting I mean I was looking at this and actually they're um, this horror run of fixtures which they have, they actually did take quite a lot of points from the equivalent fixtures last season. I mean, they beat City at home, lost to Chelsea away, beat Arsenal at home, drew with Palace away, lost to Liverpool away, but then beat Leicester at home and beat Wolves away. So, I mean, if they repeated those results, that would be pretty good. Like, we, we'd, we'd all take that, wouldn't we? I mean, that would leave them pretty then well set up. I mean, what, what do we think... You know, let's say even like from the City game, the Chelsea game, the Arsenal game, those three games. What what would you take? How many points would you take? Five. I think that wouldn't be terrible. I think that would allow you to kind of continue the momentum a little bit, wouldn't it? I, it it I kind of feels good, like it would be a bad time to like win four games and lose four games. If you know what I mean, it kind of mm. leaves you with a sort of sense of uh, it all being a bit sort of inconsistent and spotty and whatever. It, I, I kind of feel like. Getting a couple of wins and a few draws would be would be decent going I, I, as long as they don't kind of leave themselves way off the pace. Um, yeah, I, I think you've got to take that. I think they should be able to get points against City, Chelsea, and Arsenal, but probably not Liverpool and Leicester would be hard as well. I think that yeah, but then Leicester, I, who knows where, where they'll be in mid December? Yeah. Like they they may well have dropped off by then. They should definitely be Arsenal in current form for a start, and then you know. I mean, I predicted Spurs to beat Chelsea enough times in the last year or so, and I'm wrong every time. So maybe I shouldn't call that this one. Maybe I shouldn't call that this season. Um, and Chelsea, to be honest, are looking a bit... The last few weeks, Chelsea are, are looking a bit better and a bit more organised. So maybe that will be another Spurs defeat. I mean, Chelsea are a lot like Spurs, aren't they? That defence doesn't look great, but they've improved massively. Um, uh, and they're sort of a little bit pedestrian back there, but they at least look like they can possibly keep a clean sheet. And obviously they've got incredible players going forward that look like they can score a lot of goals. And I think they're the only team that have scored more goals than Spurs in the league now, aren't they? I think they've got 20 and Spurs have got 19. So, I mean, I would say they're probably relatively evenly matched. And then it might come down to the the nous of the two managers, in which case you would hope that Spurs would have the edge. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This is the third international break of the season. It's the last international break until March, at least in theory, because who on earth knows what's going to happen in 2021. Um, So it's like quite a good break point to assess where Spurs are in this really strange sort of unique surreal season which they are only eight league games into although it does feel like it's been going on much longer than that um charlie what's your general what's your general sense at this at this break point of how things are going for tottenham yeah i think they're going 
pretty well. I mean, obviously being second, a point off top, pretty, I mean, they lost that Europa League game, but they're pretty in control of that with two home games to come. So yeah, I think it's been really good. I mean, it it, it is, as we talked about last week, I mean, points tally-wise, what they're on is is probably around about par. But then before West Brom yesterday, they, they had four points. They were four points better off than those equivalents compared to last season. So that's good improvement. Obviously, West Brom, um, they didn't play last season, but they dropped points away at all three, actually, of the relegated teams, Bournemouth, Watford, Norwich. So if you, you're saying that, then they're six points better off than the equivalent games last season. But but moving away from the numbers, I mean, yeah, there there is a feel-good factor. I mean, there was that th- that thrilling, a slowish start, but then that thrilling middle period where, you know, with the 5-2 and 6-1 away wins um, when, you know, they really looked and, you know, the, the first 80 minutes of West Ham where they looked like they were just going to smash um, most teams they played. And then we've seen the different side, the more dogged, resolute side of the last few weeks. And, you know, winning titles we often hear is about winning ugly, which it is, but it's also about having lots of different ways to win. Uh, and Spurs have shown they have that, you know, they can blow teams away with amazing attacking play or they can frustrate them and then nick a goal at the other end for a 1-0. So the signs are really, really good. Um, and they ju- they needed to get through these games just to set them up for for this run of fixtures. Um, and as I say, it's just always so nice to win uh, before an international break and you've got two weeks to kind of cool off. Um, I know that a lot of those players won't have any time off because they'll be playing in this crazily congested international period. But... I think it's been a really positive start, um, all things considered, for Spurs. I actually think it's really positive that they've managed to not concede another late goal since that West Ham game. Because yeah. I, I was really fearful that uh, that was going to be a thing that would play in their minds for weeks and months beyond that. And that every single time, you know, if they were, if they were drawing or winning narrowly in the last kind of 10 minutes of a match, that they would absolutely cack themselves and make loads of mistakes and come under pressure and look like they were panicking. But that just hasn't happened. You know, in all three of the league games, they've been one goal ahead or drawing in those last 10 minutes. Um, and obviously they've won all three. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I just think, you know, I think they said on commentary yesterday, uh, I, and I appreciate not many people would have been watching it on pay-per-view, um, but they said on commentary yesterday that Spurs have conceded five goals in the last sort of eight, nine minutes of matches. But... The last one would have been in the last, the last one in the West Ham game. So three of them were in that West Ham game, and the other two were two penalties against Southampton and Newcastle that I think all in agreement shouldn't have been given. So, uh, you know, it, it it does kind of feel a bit like that West Ham game is a, was a complete outlier. And I know, I know you said that at the time. Actually, both of you said that at the time. Um, but I, I was I was concerned that it would be a thing that even though it was kind of a bit of a freak that it would play on their minds in the following games, and it would be on the minds of opposition players as well. So I think it's really important that, you know, I know it's not been particularly great to watch in the last couple of weeks, but to grind out those three wins and not have those problems again, I think kind of kind of puts that to bed completely now, that result. And it's a bit of a freak. And it is annoying that they didn't win and that they would be top of the league if they had won that game, assuming they had subsequently won the other three. Um, but you're right, Charlie, you know, it's really important to find different ways of winning matches and uh, the approach in these next few games, I think will probably be quite different. But I, I'd be pretty confident they've got enough in their locker to get a few points in these games and to put themselves in a good position when we get to Christmas and the fixtures are slightly more kind. I mean, what did you what did you guys think um, watching that? I don't know if you watched it, but uh, the City-Liverpool game yesterday because I felt like 
first half was like, whoa, these two teams are still at like, they're at a pretty serious level. And then the second half, and, I, and this seemed to be the kind of feeling amongst a lot of Spurs fans on social media was like, yeah, they're not that great. We don't have that much to fear from them. Like, what, what did you feel watching that? Did you feel they're yeah, gettable I, or were you... Yeah, I definitely... I don't think Spurs are that far off for any of those teams, really. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I think if, you, if we were playing them tomorrow, and obviously we are playing them in two weeks, I, I would probably ex- say it's more likely they'll lose than win. I think it's the most likely thing is that they might draw. Um, but I, I think they'll be in the game. And I, and I think you'll see games like we saw against City and Liverpool at the start of the year where they sat in and got absolutely battered twice. It ended up getting three points, but they were massively passive in those two games. I think even if they do play on the back foot, I would expect them to create more and be more of a threat. Yeah, I thought that uh, I thought that the City and Liverpool game was very strange yesterday. I thought that the first half was fantastic, and then I thought the players just looked exhausted in the second half. Yeah. Um, and I do think that, I mean, clearly City and Liverpool are not going to be as good as back when they were getting 98, 99, 100 points in the last, over the last sort of three seasons. Like it's not going to be that sort of season. And, you know, I imagine Liverpool probably will win the league, uh, probably with something in the 80s. But we just don't know. Like this is just so weird and getting weirder. And personally, I find like, uh, I thought that I'd be like totally used to the sort of state of football by now, uh, sort of six months into behind closed doors football. But in fact, for me, it, it, it actually just feels more odd mm. as it goes on. Um, and I feel like the football is less recognisable than it was. So I don't know. Like, I think Spurs are in as good a position as they could have hoped. If Spurs had been offered this position um, at the start of the season, then they would have been delighted with it. Um and certainly but, after that first game. Yeah, yeah, completely. After that first game, I was thinking, oh my God, this is like the worst decision mm. they've ever made, appointing Mourinho. Uh, and and yeah, uh, I think they're looking pretty good. And like, of course, we've got no idea what's going to happen. And we all we basically can't predict what's going to happen because we just don't have the tools. But I am uh, I feel I've got quite a good feeling that about it. That won't stop us trying. No, it's just, indeed not. This is, a, uh, this is a podcast where, yeah, insufficient knowledge has never stood in our way before of making... <laughs> Of making bullshit predictions on this podcast. And it's weird, isn't it? Because this is the kind of, this is the point, the November international break, uh, one year ago that Pochettino was sacked, more or less, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, it's a year today, as we record on Monday, it's a year to the day since Poch's last game, that home draw against Sheffield United. Yeah. And now it feels like a completely different world in so many yeah. ways. Yeah, it does. Uh, but I feel like the Mourinho, I feel like that that massive decision, the decision to sack Pochettino and bring in Mourinho, which is basically, I think the biggest, arguably the biggest decision Levy has made in his time at Tottenham, short of like deciding to build a new stadium over the, the pre-existing Tottenham stadium instead of moving to Stratford or doing something else. I think that, I think it's the biggest football decision he's had to make, sacking Pochettino and bringing in Mourinho. And a year on, I mean, almost a year on from it, I think it's actually looking probably, it's probably working out better than I expected it to, to be honest, in terms of like the direction of the team and the foot football they're playing. And I don't know, what do you guys think? I mean, of course, it's too early to tell, but I just, I don't feel like it's been a disaster at all. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, you know, on the face of it, they're second in the league. They qualified for Europe last season, which I think we're all in agreement halfway through the season, we thought was definitely... Unlikely, let's say. Um, they've played some good football. It's not all been incredible, but they've scored a lot of goals. They've won some games against the top sides, as we've mentioned. And 
they kind of feel like they're moving in the right direction, even if it's not at an entirely consistent pace. So I don't think you can argue that he's done a reasonably good job. Um, we're probably not quite at the point yet where we can say he's done an incredible job. But, you know, I think if over the course of the season they continue to improve steadily, even if that doesn't mean finishing as high as second, then I, I think you've got to hold your hands up and say you've done really well. Because like, like you say, Jack, I mean, I, I didn't see the improvement being particularly big this season, I have to say. I mean, you know, up to the point in the Berlin Region came in, I don't think there was much excitement, really. I thought we were kind of expecting like a sort of steady, maybe sort of fifth or sixth place finish, maybe an outside chance of a run into, into the top four, you know, and it would all come down to what they did in Europa League. But now I think, you know, the fact that the Europa League already feels like it's sort of going to play second fiddle to what they do in the Premier League is probably testament to how well they've done, really. Yeah, I think it's been a pretty positive first year. I mean, as you say, they were, what was it, something like 14th when... Pochettino got sacked, which obviously was a false position, but even so, you know, to be second, to have consolidated, to have a pretty clear uh, vision, it seems like, you know, a lot of good players have come in, feels like they know what they're doing. I think it's been very positive and like, obviously we will only really know at the end of the season, but there's a lot to suggest that this season could end well uh, for Spurs with, you know, both a top four or higher finish and and a trophy. It does feel like... um, you know, momentum's building uh, and they're making some big improvements. I just do wonder how how our sense of how this is going has been affected by coronavirus in the sense that, you know, there, haven't, there, hasn't been, there haven't been fans at a Spurs game, well, haven't been fans at a Spurs home game since the Eric Dyer walking into the stands game on, what, the 3rd or 4th wow. of March? Yeah. So, eight months ago. And if there have been Spurs fans, if there have been Spurs fans at all these games since then, I wonder like whether the results would have been the same, and assuming that they had been the same, how the fans would have reacted to the new players and Mourinho and Bale and some of Mourinho's tactics, and would they have got on board with him more? Because I kind of felt like my impression back in February and March, and James might disagree with this, is that Spurs fans were still slightly on the fence about Mourinho, and they hadn't really... Neither the home nor the away fans had especially committed to being pro or suspicious or whatever. Like it was still a, it was very much the early days of the relationship. Um, and I just wonder what, how that would have changed if there had been fans. I, I kind of feel like everything, like everything that happens is still a little bit provisional until we get fans back, even though that might be another year from now. I don't know. Well, whichever games, I think we kind of touched on this a bit before, but whichever games this season do you think would have been different in terms of like the dynamic? With fans in the ground. Because actually that game yesterday, I think went exactly as it would have gone with fans in the ground. Like Spurs generally on top, West Brom defending doggedly, sitting in, having a couple of spells of pressure where you can imagine the fans getting up and getting behind their team and whatever. And then that kind of gradually fading as the game wore on as they tire and they get nervous. And obviously, you know, when fans are in the ground, players we know get more nervous generally. Uh, And the better team ultimately get the late goal. That's kind of exactly how yeah. I expect that kind of game to go with fans in the crowd. It's, and it's I interesting it, you mentioned that City-Liverpool game yesterday, actually, because I think that would have been totally different. Like, there would have been more incentive to, for, for the intensity to be upped in that second half and for players to really run themselves into the ground. Whereas what I think happened in that situation was like a sort of, a, a, a sort of, not literally, but like a mutually agreed sort of, yeah, we're going to dial it down like 20% now, you dial it down like 20% now, and what will be will be. 
But I just don't think that would have happened with fans in the ground. They would have just been like hell for leather for the whole game, particularly with a Liverpool team who play like that all the time. I think it's so hard to say about how the games would be. I think what we can say is how the reactions would have been. And I imagine like, you know, losing at home to Everton on the opening day, I think it would have been pretty mutinous. Um, the oh, reaction. Yeah, yeah. The hell. Um, you know, things like that. Um, but it, yeah, it's it's just so difficult. I mean, also like West Ham we talked about. I mean, that that collapse i think if there are fans there you're saying well the edgy spurs fans didn't help and you know west ham were just inspired by their fans going nuts behind them whereas obviously I, I, neither I, I of those said, things were there i think i said this before but i actually think like if, if spurs had gone three and up in the first 16 minutes and you can't you know we don't know whether or not that would have happened but that had happened with fans in the ground i don't think they would have eased off in the same way that they did without fans yeah. in the ground because with fans in the ground the atmosphere would have been absolutely like pumping for the whole rest of the first half you know the first 20 minutes, half an hour of that second half. I just think the team would have been G'd on. You know, Bale comes on and the atmosphere is up again. You know, West Ham Maybe, fans, yeah. some of them would have left and they would have been quiet. And I just think like, I don't, I just don't find it hard to imagine that Spurs would have been pushed on to score a fourth goal and then that kills the game. I mean, you know, it's just yeah. too many variables. Have a conversation. Yeah. Having said, well, we're not going to talk about, you know, predictions and trying to, <laughs> trying to guess things. Know, we just yeah, don't yeah. know. We're doing it now, but I just... In my mind, they wouldn't have lost that game with fans in the ground had they gone 3-0 up. Obviously, it's completely different. Yeah, it's just too many variables, isn't it? It's uh, it's pointless. But f- it's, it's fun. All, all I do know is that whoever would have won, whatever the result in a Spurs versus West Ham game, all I can ever think about is how uh, Liverpool Street Weatherspoons is the worst place in the world. Whatever, yeah, the because, obviously, like, because obviously you've got, live, uh, for listeners from outside of London, Obviously, you've got all the West Ham fans coming in from Essex through into Liverpool Street, and lots of Spurs fans come through Essex as well to Liverpool Street Station. And of course, the train to White Hart Lane is from Liverpool Street, and the tube to West Ham is from Liverpool Street. So, Liverpool Street is basically the epicenter of. Uh, West Ham Tottenham games and it's uh, I've been there's reasons I'm not sure exactly why I I have been to that Weatherspoons quite a few times before this particular fixture and it's just hell on earth it's so awful and every time this game happens I just think about that place Uh, sorry this is why on earth am I talking about this it's got nothing to do with the football at all what were you even talking about Um, oh yeah how the games would have been different Uh, well the Everton game would have been really bad and Maybe the I reckon the West Ham, yeah, Newcastle maybe West Spurs. Would I mean, Newcastle just would have been anger at the ref and the VAR. I don't think it would yeah. have been anger at the team. Yeah, I, don't, I can't see that game would have gone much differently, really. Because I think, like you know, I they, mean, Spurs they did, had about twelve shots on target. Goal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it wasn't like they kind of sat in too much in that game. Also, even when fans are, I mean, sometimes fans' anxiety the flip side of pushing the team on to go and get another goal is the anxiety can kind of reverberate around the ground and, you know, teams get more nervous as they're defending a league going into the last 10 minutes. As with all of it, we don't know. Why don't we do the quiz? I think that might be the best thing to do now. The quiz will be fun. I've, I've kept the uh, I kept the specifics under wraps from you so mm. that you could... Uh, not cheat. Uh, yeah, so that you could not cheat. But it's, it's, it's really, really simple. You'll enjoy it. And can I, can I guess what it is? Because I, I thought you should do... Uh, well, I was going to say the last time Spurs went top of the league, but that's another early Pochettino thing, so it's boring. So the time before that, which I think was in 2002, is that what it is? Oh, no, that's a really good... That's actually better than the idea that I've done. <laughs> uh, but no, but it I haven't looked that. at that team. If it's better than you want to do that, I haven't looked at it. Uh no, let's. Why don't we stick with this one? Because I've done it, and hopefully there won't be any kind of really weird, pointless diatribes about 
Liverpool Street Weatherspoons. I don't know why I said that. I just got over overcome with overcome with the need to say to talk about that place. So um, Harry Kane scored his 150th Premier League goal for Tottenham on Saturday, which puts him joint ninth in the all-time list of top Premier League goal scorers. Now, I've been going through the list of the all-time top Premier League goal scorers, looking for people who played for Spurs, and I thought it would be fun to do a quiz in which James and Charlie have to say the names of all of the players in, let's say, the top 75 who, oh my God. <laughs> who have played for Spurs. So I'm not looking for people who necessarily scored the most goals for Spurs in the Premier League, but the ones who scored the most Premier League goals and who have at some point played for Spurs. Because, of course, you've got some like Spurs legends who scored lots of goals for Spurs and not many goals for anyone else. But equally, you've got guys who've had great careers for lots of different clubs, scored one or two goals for Spurs, and, uh, and yeah, still make the list. So just for clarity, so number eight... Is a sp- has played for Spurs. Num- joint nine is Kane. You're looking for number 12 has played for Spurs, number 15, number 25, number 27, number 30, number 33, number 43. If we get bored, we might come to number 58 and the two men joint 72nd, but I kind of feel like I'm taking... I kind of feel like I'm taking the piss a bit with those. It just depends on how well it goes. I mean, what, guessing, I mean, what, what you say about this is I do this Twitter thread of Harry Kane's Premier League goals and the players he's moved level with so I kind of have a pretty good working knowledge of the oh, like, God, you do, don't you? upper reaches of the all time Premier League goal scorers charts so that might uh, might give me the edge Charlie yeah I mean you're obviously the, the, given that you've got a, a big head start but that means the pressure's off for me I can only let's exceed do expectations let's do it uh, how, how we, oh, so presumably Kane's off limits here yes that seems Kane, like is a, obvious. Kane joint ninth with 150 is a given how, how many are there? For now, let's say one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Let's say eight for now. Okay. Eight others. We're taking it. We're taking it in turns to guess. Yeah, let's let Charlie go first because yeah, you've got, already got the uh, specialist knowledge. <laughs> uh, okay, Celes Ferdinand. Oh, what? I didn't write him down. How did that happen? <laughs> oh, my <laughs> oh my god! What a disaster! So, I'm Tom, lead this, lead this in, Tom. Leave it in. Leave it in. Oh my god! How did I not write him down? I must have just. So this is what happens when you... Ah, yeah. Okay, so... Which does call into question the whole integrity of the quiz now. It does, yeah. So Celeste Ferdinand is there. 149 goals, I believe. 149 goals. He's 11th in the rankings. He is... Uh, God, so James would have tweeted about probably all of these people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I tweeted about Les Ferdinand last week. Uh, Teddy Sheringham's around about there, isn't he? Yeah, Teddy Sheringham is 12th with 146. Um, so these are just players that have played, have for, played Spurs for Spurs at any time and are in the... Um, okay. Robbie Keane. Yes, Robbie Keane is 15th with 126. Um, Jermaine Defoe. Yes, Jermaine Defoe is top in the sense that he's 8th with 162. Crouchy? Yes, Crouchy's 25th with 108. So, so far we have got the 1, 2, 3, 4... We've got the 6 best ever Premier League goal scorers who have played for Tottenham. Aye, 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 aye. Um, 
Adebayo? Yes, Adebayo is 30th with 97 Premier League goals. What a player. Adebayo was a very underrated player. Yeah, I think it's because he wasn't the most likeable. Yeah, he was like, on his day, he was completely unplayable for Arsenal and City. He was an incredible player. And Spurs when he was online. Yeah, kind of. Was that a dig at the fact that after he made his move permanent, he was never as good? I mean, that is literally what happened. The Mido effect. Yeah. He was okay. He had his moments, though, in, in his hey, kind of second and third seasons. Yeah, even in like 13, 14, he, that uh, goal at Old Trafford. Yeah. I, yeah he went on that round, didn't he? When Sherwood took over, he picked up a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Anyway, we're in the realms of uh, Weatherspoons now, aren't we? So let's get back on track. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um... How many did Adebayor score, did you say? Uh, Adebayor had, has 97 Premier League goals. So for a clue, you're looking for one guy with 106, someone with 94, and someone with 85. Berbatov? Yes, Berbatov has 94 Premier League goals. He is 33rd on the all-time Premier League goal scorers list. So we're oh, going. So God. someone with one hundred and six and someone with eighty five. We're looking for left. someone with one hundred and six and someone with eighty five. Yeah. Oh my. God. <clears throat> one of these is more obvious than the other. One of these is like, oh yeah, he played for Spurs for years. That's obvious. And the other is like, oh God, he played for Spurs. Interesting. Oh okay, okay. okay. Uh, Louis Saha. Yes, Louis Saha. Forty oh, third with eighty five Premier League goals. That was the hard one. The other guy should be easier. So the. I've just got this name in my head, but I don't. He he wouldn't have scored enough goals. Um, Hundred and six. So that looks like the tally of either a, a consistent goal-scoring midfielder who played for quite a while, or a striker who was fairly was either sort of a one in three or four kind of guy, or just didn't play in the league for that long and scored at a decent rate. Um, I mean, I've got Ginola in my head, but he can't have. I can't believe he would have scored that many. Um, and it's Darren Anderton. And Darren Anderton again, but I can't believe he'd have scored that many. Um, I've got a great guess. Because that's quite a lot. I'm excited with my guess. 106. No pressure, though, Charlie. And he played for Tottenham for a reasonable amount of time. Um... What what era that would have been? Premier League era, probably. <laughs> um, hey, well, hey. 106. And it wouldn't have been, I mean, Delhi's on like around 50, isn't he? Um, Feels like you need to give a banter answer at yeah. some point because uh, yeah, know. yeah, I TikTok, do. TikTok, TikTok, I do. TikTok, I do. TikTok. We do have the metrics to see when people stop listening to this. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> if you're still listening, thank Pl- you very much. <laughs> Plot it exactly here. Uh, I'll give you a I clue. I can't think who it is, so I'll say Darren Anderton. Yeah, now you've guessed you don't get a clue. You were so close. You've got oh. half the name right. You've got the first name right, but not the surname. Well, I didn't hear what he said. What did he say? He said Darren Anderton. Oh, is it Darren? Is it Darren Ben? 
It is Darren Brand. Uh, that wasn't good, that wasn't going to be my guess. My guess. Oh, can no. I say what my guess is going to be? Uh, Son. No, Chris Armstrong. Chris Armstrong was next. Chris Armstrong was ah. next. He's 58. 71 league goals. And then you've got then you, you go scroll down to 61 league goals. Joint 72nd. You got Gilfie Sigurdsson and uh, Hyungmin Son. Gilfie Sigurdsson has as many hmm. goals as Son. Yep, 61 Premier League goals. That's mad. I'm surprised Son doesn't have slightly more, but then yeah, uh, it's, it's he's not. like he's not really as productive a goal scorer as he looks, and I think a lot of his goals have come in Europe. Uh, and he, he he like doesn't score for two or three months at a time traditionally. Darren Ben, fair play. Forced by he, Darren I, Ben again. Yeah, yeah. So, I had sort of forgotten about his period at Tottenham. Um, but yeah, no, good quiz. I enjoyed that. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, I'm trying to come up with a better quiz format for next time. Um, can I, can I, sorry, can I just clarify? Did I win? Uh, I actually wasn't counting. With it, well, you did win with a, with a big clue, though, at the end with Darren. So, so yeah, I said, a, sport, I, a sporting draw. I said Chris Armstrong. Oh, no, but he wasn't in the top. Uh, he was in that sub list that Jack this, was talking this about. This is absolute nonsense. This quiz is absolute nonsense. I don't want to sound. I'm not. I'm what, like, why is it nonsense? I don't why want to sound nonsense? like Trump. All right. I don't want to like deny the integrity of the process. But uh, surely, I, surely, surely, I won. Why is it? So why is the quiz nonsense? Well, I must have guessed more than Charlie. He got. Like oh Trump. yeah. Oh, I, I, I don't. I, I'm not taking view on who won or not. I think you probably won. You've got the specialist knowledge, but I wasn't counting. Let's uh, get the guy from CNN to come in and clarify what's going on here because John, uh, John King yeah, yeah yeah that would be amazing <laughs> that is all we've got time for on this week's show thank you very much Charlie and James for playing in our fun quiz and thank you producer Tom thank you to all our listeners who've somehow struggled all the way through to the end of this particular episode uh, if you want us to talk about anything to make for a better podcast next week please send us some better ideas and we will talk about them uh, otherwise we'll catch you all next week